going to take it. Got it! Boston wins! Two legends in basketball analysis with over 70 years combined experience. This is the Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman podcast. NBA, some college, a little bit of everything. You know, what can I say? But it wasn't going to happen here with him. I was okay with it because it wasn't about talent, I didn't think. All right, let's get right to it. All right, welcome in another edition of the Ryan and Goodman podcast. And as you can see, we have L.A. Clippers head coach, former Celtics coach, former uh, Provisor uh, East Star, uh, Doc River. Very good. I like the end of that. Right? You like Provisor that? Provisor East Star is good. Yeah, that and was good. greatest guard ever to perform in the Boston shootout. <laughs> is that, that true? My, yeah. Yes. He's my, he's, my true. All-time, he's my all-time guard. The all-time forward was Bernard. I missed the all-time. Yeah. And the all-time center was Patrick. Patrick, yeah. And the all-time guard, we're looking at him. Glenn Doc Rivers. Wow. From a show of shows. At, at Boston University, yes. Doc, Doc, what are you what are you doing now? What, what what's your you're waking up with us? We're going to take a little bit of your time today. What what's on the slate for today? And what what have you been doing in this uh, this time of of social distancing? Well, this morning I got up and the Celtic Clipper game was on the game right before All Star break, and um, I was still mad at some of our plays and still <laughs> still mad at some of the calls. You know, that's that's what I do. Uh, I try every day uh, to reach out to three or four players uh, and talk to them. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of Zoom sessions with my coaches uh, and some front office. Uh, I think I talk to Lawrence Frank 15 times a day, but I'm not sure why. Uh, we're you know that, why? Because he won't, he won't leave you alone. That's what, He's got nothing else going on. He just calls to talk about anything, but it's good. And, and, you know, it's nice that we have that relationship to do that. But I tell you, like yesterday we had a Zoom session with our coaches and, uh, you know, we're going over it. Like it's, it's unusual that you have a 60-game blueprint. And and you can get and look at what you've done well, what you don't do well, what you should have done more. Um, you know, we're going over player combinations, you know, rotations. Uh, we're already diving into our playoff opponents, you know, uh, analytically. We've, we've narrowed it down to, you know, possibly three teams, um, you know. And so we're already starting to work on that as a staff. And, and that's what we're doing. And then we go over our, with our conditioning staff what our, what our players are doing. Um, you know, we've adopted this saying called win the weight. That's our new thing uh, around the team, like win the weight, uh, which means, you know, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean basketball. Uh, like don't if, – if we do have a season, guys, and, and we come back and we have guys out of shape, then that could be a reason we don't win. That would be the worst reason. Why? And so we're challenging our, our guys to condition, to read books. Uh, Bob, you can loan them one of your books back there. Uh, I got you one. Know, uh, it's probably yeah, got like just, we're, we're, we're trying to, to teach improvement uh, during a very difficult time, and that's what our guys are trying to do. Well, the uh, you mentioned your team and the uh, guy that jumps out at me. I, I want to know what, what was it like, uh, the anticipation of Kawhi, Leonard and the reality of coaching him on a daily basis. Well, the anticipation was amazing. I've obviously, um, you know, we put in a lot of work 
as you guys know, and, and then when we get what we've worked for, and that's Kawhi and PG, obviously, uh, that anticipation was great. It's been better, though, um, coaching him. You know, it, it's the old saying, you don't know a player until you coach a player. Sure. Uh, uh, it's so true with him. Um, very verbal, you know, uh, where I would think the average person wouldn't think so, uh, but but he is extremely uh, smart. Not 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 smart, extremely smart. Um, and especially in basketball terms, um, talks or thinks the game more like a coach uh, in some ways uh, than a player. Um, and I've had guys like that. Uh, Rondo was, was, was clearly like that. Um, there's a lot of high IQ players, but there's not a lot of them that are high IQ and think more from a strategic standpoint. You know, most players think more about, well, how can I score? (laughs) (laughs) Or, or why am I not doing something? Uh, but he can see, he sees the game. Uh, we had a conversation, uh, yesterday or day before yesterday and he he just says things that, um, one of your assistant coaches would say. You know, and, and it's, it's really been nice, um, you know, having that relationship and it growing. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised, and it's been really good. So how do you think he's handling social distancing? Because he, he's not exactly, you know, you, you, said, he's, you said he's verbal, but he's not the most social dude in the world. He doesn't say a ton off the court. Other than no basketball, Kawhi's probably liking this a little bit, isn't he? I don't know if he likes it, but it, I don't think it's upsetting him either. <laughs> you know, um, because he's a workaholic. I think everybody, uh, you've heard about his his workouts and how, how maniacal. I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely insane to the point on, on game days. We, we actually thought at times, well, maybe we should show our shoot-arounds because he's going so hard. Uh, but he has a plan, like, you know, you can see him, like, planning this out. To, so by the end of the year, he's in the best shape you possibly can be in, and it's, it's really cool to watch. Uh, so for him, it's funny. He's working out every day, extremely hard. You know, he has his whole setup at home. Um, so that part probably is no different than a normal day for him. Uh, but I think everybody, I mean, this is difficult um, when you can't just get out and, no, we have this thing. Uh, actually, back when we were in Boston, uh, we read this study, and I use it with our players about touching. You know, uh, it, and it's, it was true that teams that touched each other played were the better teams, and teams that didn't. And you can watch that on losing teams when you see guys walk out the floor, they walk to the end of the bench, they don't touch anybody, and then you see other teams that they're always like. Um, and so, right now, you know, the human touch is important, and, and right now. We don't have that. Um, we have the, I call it the human video. <laughs> I mean, we're seeing each other. So I think it's difficult for everyone. Doc, your owner hasn't exactly been sitting around uh, uh, looking at the sky. Uh, he's making some rather yeah. important plans for the future. I mean, yeah. uh, and I just, I guess want to ask you, um, just tell me about life with him. Uh, as a, and I'm not even going to say, as opposed to the previous owner, but if you want to go there, that's fine with me too. <laughs> Yeah, well, the the one thing with the previous owners, there there were a bunch of them, but they were good. You know, Wick and and Pags and and Bobby and uh, Pilata. I mean, 
I still I meant, to those I guys. I wasn't thinking about Boston, and we'll get to them, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I skipped over. You see, that was a Freudian. I skipped over the Sterling part. I got you. <laughs> I, I, I try to ignore that part. But right, Steve, fair enough. Steve has been absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, he's not a blank check, Bob. He, he makes you work for what you ask for, you know. But what you love about him, if he thinks it's worth it, he's going to give it to you. He wants to win, and he's all in in that way. I think I've never seen a guy support his, the staff. I mean, think about when, when Steve bought the team, and I was at the time the president of the team, and think about our staff. I think we had five people, literally five people, trying to run the entire scouting you know, college scouting, pro scouting. Um, we've, I think, hired maybe 30 people since. You know, that's something that we were not allowed to do. And it's not like he's overspending. He's just, he looked at everybody else and said, how are we so understaffed? Uh, and our answer was because yeah. we weren't allowed, you know. And, and so, and, and then bringing Lawrence in, and when Lawrence was with me already, to head that up has been amazing. Buying the arena or, or building the arena. Like Steve and I, if you if you are a Clipper, you understand it, Bob, and I didn't understand it until I got there. But playing in, in another arena um, where you have to hide banners so you can make it look like your arena, where fans from other teams literally invade your stadium on game, when they come to town, you play Golden State. Like, it's tough um, to establish a home court advantage when you don't have your own place. Um, and Steve has, obviously, the ability to do that, and he's going to do it. Um, you know, but he does a lot of stuff, you know, and uh, he's involved to the point where, you know, I, I have a conversation with him weekly. He's involved where he wants to know what's going on. But he's great as far as he doesn't give me any coaching input. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he just doesn't, you know. But he will ask a question. He said, hey, why didn't we do this? Or what's your thought on this? And, and, and I welcome that, and, and that's good. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, golf, esports, XFL, and many more. So if you're into entertainment, you can still bet an American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, and even the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Be sure to use the promo code CLNS50. To receive your 50% welcome bonus in your first deposit. Bet online, your full access wagering solution. Doc, you mentioned uh, back with Kawhi that he's got his own setup uh, yeah. where he can work out every day. I talked to Jason Tatum the other day, and he said he hasn't dribbled the ball. He hasn't shot a free throw uh, in, a, in, in a while, in weeks. Yeah. Now. How, many, how many guys you think in the NBA, if you had to guess, have their own court, have their own deal where they can actually stay. I mean, obviously LeBron does, but is it just like max contract guys? And how much of an advantage is that going to give the Kawhis over and LeBrons over everybody else when, when, if and when you guys go? Well, 
Well, they already have an advantage in talent, you know. So, you know, that's a good question, Jeff. My, my guess is probably not a lot of them. Uh, some of them do. Uh, some of them may find a park somewhere. Um, you know, we were uh, getting on one of our players. I'm not going to name him because he was literally driving around looking for an empty park. And we told him, no, you can't do that. You, you just can't do that. Uh, so it was great that he had the, you know, that he wanted to do it, but it was bad that he was actually trying to do it, you know, because we're saying stay inside, stay away. Um, you know, I don't know how much of an advantage. I think most guys have a basketball, uh, but there are a lot that don't have a rim. And so, like, we, we do these Zoom sessions, you know, with our, our players, our strength coach does, where they, I think it's four or five at a time, and they're doing conditioning stuff as a group. You know, and then he does it three times a day with, with four different groups. Um, but that's still not basketball. And, you know, we were so, you know, in our Zoom session yesterday with the coaches, someone came up with an idea about giving them a heavy ball and a regular basketball and doing 30-minute dribbling drills. If I was a player, I would say, no, thank you. <laughs> I may do it once or twice, you know, but that's, that's a good question. I don't know if it's an advantage. But um, the bigger question is when we start back, and if we start back, um, how long will it take? Mm. That's, the, that's the question that, um, listen, we don't know the answer to. So I'm going to ask you about the game uh, itself this year. And not, um, it's, you, we all know the game has evolved in many ways over the years uh, in terms of technique. But is there, is there anything that came about this year? That, did you notice any new trends or new emphases or uh, technique-wise from team uh, or anything that uh, this, this season presented new at all? Well, I do think there's things that are coming back. Like, you know, Bob, you've been around this game. Uh, as long as any of us combined, bro, right? Uh, and and you've seen the trends. And so, you know, it was all threes, all layups. That's still true in some ways. But people aren't frowning on the in-between shot as much anymore. Uh, you know, in the playoffs, usually the in-between game comes back uh, a little bit because, you know, I always use it as an example. Think of all the game-winning shots. There are very few three-pointers. Mm. There's, there's no layup. It's usually an in-between jump shot. Mm-hmm. And so the great players all have it in their arsenal, and they use it. Uh, we have a team with Lou Williams and, and Kawhi that are, are in-between game masters, and we would never tell them not to. Uh, and our offense this year and last year are, is in the top five. And what we try to teach is score quickly. We don't care if it's uh, a three uh, in-between shot, uh, layup, but score quickly. Um, I think the biggest trend now more than threes are the drive. Like, everyone's trying to get to the paint. That doesn't mean that it's going to lead to a layup. It means it's going to lead to a shot for someone else mm-hmm. uh, because the way the defenses are playing. And I think guys have, have really figured out uh, with the, the bigs and drops all over the place. Guys, the guards, the players are always ahead of us. And it's our job as a coaching staff to try to catch up what they're doing. You get them for about a year, uh, they figure it out, and then you have to do something else. And so I would say that would be a trick. Lou, uh, you mentioned a guy, and I think you already know that I am infatuated with Lou Williams. Yeah. I, I am utterly infatuated with Lou Williams because I was late to the party, Doc. 
Uh, he was well into his career doing what he was doing, although not to the extent that he's done it the last couple of years where he's really maximized. But I'm saying his, this is an historic player. I mean, I thought Vinnie John. I was a Vinnie Johnson guy. Many of a, you know, and he he was the microwave, and he was a phenomenon. And and uh, but this is another level of continual nightly bench explosion that uh, has we ever seen. Yeah, Bob, I was late to the party as well. Um, I, and you know, I've, I've told this story. Lewis has told this story as well. When when we traded for Lou, I was not having Lou. Like, and I don't know, Bob. It was from afar. Um, I, I, I saw a guy that kept getting traded, right? And, and I, I appreciated his offense, but not nearly, never thought it was this good. And, you know, we, we kind of brought him in. He didn't come in early. Every player came in. He was the last guy to come in. And, and so when he finally showed up, like three days before trading camp, I, I was not having him. I, I was like... Uh, this guy's not going to, we're not going to work, you know? And so we sat in the office and it was amazing. Uh, it, it just taught me a lot. Like I, I brought him up in the office and I told him my feelings that uh, I said, Lou, you're one of these guys that want to do whatever you want to do. And you don't want to buy it. Like we asked everybody to come in. Everyone did except for you. You come in two days before camp. And like, I don't know how this is going to work. And he said something. He said, well, I've been traded five years in a row. Um, why would I buy into you? Was, was, was basically his, his question. And I didn't have an answer at, at that point because I wasn't buying him yet. You know, and I said, listen, if you do the things that I need you to do, I guarantee you uh, that you can make this a home. Uh, I told them, if you look through my coaching career, I've always had a guy that came off the bench that I've tried to use um, as I always call him as firepower. Uh, I will give you complete freedom offensively. I will never question your shots. As long as on defense, you're in the right place. If I put you on a good offensive player, that's a coaching mistake. And, you know, I was honest with him. I said, you are a horrible defensive player. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't do the rules that we need you to do defensively. And we shook hands. And by midseason, Bob, of that year, uh, he went on to win the six-man award. I was in love with the guy. Not only as a player, but how verbal he was in the locker room. And, and, and you know, he told me he had never been any of those things, but he had never felt like, he was going to stay somewhere. And I think, you know, it's hard in our league to have loyalty uh, and to build a trust and relationship. And, but when you can, and when you do it, it works with, with, with the right guys that'll give it back. And what Lou has done, he's returned the loyalty. I mean, even with his contract, when he signed the extension, I told him, I was honest, this is, I don't know if I would sign this extension. You know, it, it's it's not great. And he says, you know what? It guaranteed I'm here. I'm staying here. I'll pass on the extra money. You know, and so he's been amazing, Bob. But offensively, I'm telling you, um, it's amazing watching him sometimes. Like, you know, everyone in the in the league knows he wants to go left, and he's going left. The the thing is, he can really go right as well, and he laughs. 
cross because people give him his right hand and he takes it. And that's why if you ever see him, he'll run down the court laughing. Like, and he has this great saying, um, I don't want to go right, but I can. <laughs> it reminds me of, of apropos, I have to throw this in there. When Hubie Brown was uh, announcing many, many years ago uh, a game that Terry Cummings was playing. Yeah. And Hubie comes out with the following. I don't want to say that Terry Cummings goes to his right all the time. Let's just say he goes to his right many, many times. <laughs> it's, it's, but you think about it, all great players, even good players. Listen, I was an average player in the NBA, and I was going right. I was not going left. I, I, I tell my players all the time, it was a great story. I think I was with the Knicks, and I, I don't know who it was, but a rookie uh, comes up to me before the jump ball and says, hey, Doc, you are not going right tonight. And I tell him, well, I'm not going left. <laughs> <laughs> so some, something's going to give tonight, you know. Uh, but you can – everyone can go that, the other way a little bit just to set up, get back, and lose a master at it. He knows how to get to his spot. You know, Paul Pierce, right elbow. You know, he knew exactly where he wanted to go. Uh, all these great guys know exactly where they want to go, and they're going to get there. Where, where do you think the NBA is going as far as you've heard all these kind of scenarios <laughs> that have been played out? And you already mentioned, listen, none of us know right now. No. But kind of what – you know, Tatum said to me, listen, you know, if we could play half of our regular season games left and then go into the playoffs, that would be ideal for, for players. What do, you, what do you think should be done if the league starts back up? You know, I've heard this Vegas scenario where all these games are played in Vegas. You've heard different uh, ways of trying to figure this thing out. Is there something that makes sense to you more than uh, other you know, no, you know, Jeff, I've, I've given up guessing um, because it's, it's, it's tough to do. Like, um, you know, I've heard the NCAA tournament style. Uh, I've heard the uh, one location style, which probably is the safest uh, when you think of it in that way. Uh, the no fans, the um, five games, ten games, straight to the playoffs. What, I, what I'm telling our guys is to be ready and we will use no excuses because it's not going to be normal. You know, that's what I'm telling my guys every day. Like, you know, they ask every day, when are we going to play? Like, like I know, you know, right. and I tell them, I don't know, but prepare for something that's not normal. Uh, and let that not be the reason uh, we don't win. Let That can't be our reason. So, that's all I'm telling our guys. Prepare for something that's not normal and be okay with it. Doc, uh, we, we don't know whether or not there will be a basketball Hall of Fame enshrinement this year. It's generally speaking in the, uh, in the, in the early fall. But uh, whenever it does take place, the next one, it will include uh, three players of consequence, of enormous consequence. Uh, the late Kobe Bryant, and that's another topic we'll, for another day, perhaps, uh, Tim Duncan, and also someone with whom I think you have a very particular special, well, we'll have a special interest. And yeah. Owen, what kind of reflections will Doc Rivers be making the day that Kevin Garnett is enshrined in the Hall of Fame? Well, I should bow to him. I talked to Kevin last <laughs> night. Uh, can you imagine Kevin Garnett right now in, in social isolation, by the way? No. Can you imagine <laughs> the energy that dude has right God now. God help whoever <laughs> in that house. Whoever's with him. 
whoever's with him. <laughs> exactly. Um, he, Bob, you can't appreciate him um, because he, he, he changed our culture. He really did. Like, I needed a conduit um, to sell what I was selling, you know, when we got all these guys together. And Kevin was the perfect person. You know, Ray gave a lot. You know, when you think about it, Ray gave up shots and he gave a lot. And, and so did Paul. Uh, but so did Kevin. But Kevin then preached it every day to every player. Everything he did, every action he did was about winning. Um, from his practice habits, uh, his pregame habits. Uh, I remember Tony Allen one time in the locker room uh, was playing uh, music. Um, and Kevin wanted peace. He wanted quiet in the locker room. Uh, so he didn't turn the stereo out. He ripped the stereo out of the wall so it could never be played again. You know? Uh, <laughs> and it was like, and he said the right thing. He said, I don't mind you guys playing music. I don't want to hear it. So if you want music, put on headphones. I need to have my focus. And it was the right thing. But he, everything about that guy was about winning. He sacrificed more stuff. You know, the Cleveland series, Bob, mm. um, we had this thing that we felt that Kevin had to take 20 shots. Um, and so I think – I don't remember if it was the first series or the second series, but um, his matchup we felt like was one that he could dominate. So to get Kevin to shoot the ball, oh. because he's such – you know, we would I, – I arguments we had where I would say, Kevin, you got to shoot the ball. He said, you just told me, I told the team, we got to move the ball. And I said, yeah, we're moving it to you. <laughs> we're moving it for you to shoot the ball. But before game one, I walked in the locker room and I said, the number is 20. 20. The number is 20. 20 is the number. I said it like 16 times. And then finally, you know, people start like giggling. Because they, they were getting it. And Kevin is so intense, he kind of didn't. And when he finally got it, he started. He, I can't say what he said when he got up. <laughs> All right, God, Kevin, I hear you. 20. In that first game, he had a huge game. Uh, now, he didn't stay with the 20 number. But it was just his – he's so unselfish. And it was, it's so for me, like, he changed the culture of the Celtics. And it still remains today from what he did. Do you remember uh, him as a rookie being at all moved or taken by anything, the poise or the, the presence or something? I mean, I know as a writer, I was. I know that. I, I said, oh, my God, now I see what Kevin, you know, McHale was thinking about because I was skeptical. You know, we had yeah, this, I was a high school kid in 20 years, you know, and that, at that point in time, 1995. But, well, we were skeptical because uh, he was a toothpick, if yeah. you remember. Yeah. yeah. But – and I didn't know – you know, listen, he was a high school guy, right? So – but I remember playing, uh, seeing him the first time. And the first thing I saw was, man, this guy's been coached right. Like, I don't know where he's been in high school. Uh, but he, he has too many fundamentals down and he's, for that age. That was the first thing that stood out to me, that he has been coached right. Or, or he just had – he knew about winning. You can feel – as a rookie, I actually made that comment uh, uh, in front of the media. Like, I don't know, this guy, if he's going to be great or not, but he knows the game of basketball. 
And for a guy that, that what was he, 17, 18? 18, maybe. You know, uh, that's pretty impressive. Doc, Ray Allen, I know you've come out and said you, you'd like to kind of yeah. you know, work through that, that, that rift between Ray and, and some of the other guys in the Celtics. Yeah. Uh, have you been able to do that? And I, and I wonder in, in this time right now, if coming out of this, if guys will have a different perspective maybe on life and it could be the right time to get Ray back in the right place with, with Rondo and some of those guys, especially before KG's uh, Hall of Fame induction. Well, you know, Jeff, it's, it's interesting. I don't – you know, what was Martin Luther King? The time is now. Like, there is no uh, – I think – uh, the last conversation I had with my guys, I said, guys, there is no right time. Uh, the time is now. Like, just do it, you know, and, and it'll be all fine. It'll be great. Um, you know, the reason that Celtic team was good bec- was because they were they were stubborn and mentally strong, um, and they had a togetherness, right? And the reason this has been so hard is the same reason. Um, <laughs> but I do – this one I take on myself. Like, uh, I really um, – I failed with the Paul jersey retirement, you know. Um, I really thought that Ray should have come to that, and, and I tried to get him to. And it just – he wanted to. Like, he, he was going to, and then he, he just didn't, you know. Um, so we got to get this one done. Uh, I think it would be magical uh, next year when they retire – Kevin's jersey, uh, I think it would be absolutely magical to get him uh, to come out. I think he he would be shocked the ovation that he got. You know, listen, he left, and I was mad at him too uh, for leaving and leaving uh, to our arch enemy. You know, I, I still don't know from a player, you know what, maybe I should ask, were they mad that he went to Miami mm-hmm. or, the, or were they mad that he joined LeBron? You know, because I never thought about that part of it, you know, um, but probably all the above, you know. Yeah. You know, but at the end of the day, the one thing I know about Celtic fans and our players, uh, Ray Allen, they all know we don't win. A, we don't have a ring without Ray Allen. And, and so the other part, you just got to forget and move on. Funny, all the things about Ray, just, just things flashing across my mind. He will always go down as one of the consummate three-point shooters. But the one shot in a Celtic uniform that I will never forget was that left-hand driving layup to cap off the 24-point comeback. Absolutely, I, yeah. It, it was, I thought it was the biggest shot of that game. You know, there were a lot of big shots, but that shot, I don't know if it was the biggest shot. It was a shot that sealed the game. Um, and um, I, I remember it, left side of the basket, drives left. Yep. Lays it in, and you can see uh, that that was a big moment. Ray made some big shots for us, man. And, oh, God, yeah. uh, and his movement was an offense in itself. Like, his movement, even when he didn't get the shot, created offense for us. And so th- those guys are so valuable. What, what do you miss most about uh, Boston? And I know you like the weather out there. You should because it's shitty out here. And you can go for walks right now. You don't have to worry, all that. Uh, what do you miss most about Boston? The intensity. You know, I, I miss uh, some of my favorite restaurants and all that. I have some great friends. But um, the intensity that the fans, um, you know, even Danny, um, 
has everybody has this this drive towards winning, you know, and it's not just the Celtics, it's the Red Sox, it's the Patriots, it's the Bruins, you know. Um, as I tell people, they don't mess around. The fans don't mess around in Boston, Mike. They want an honest effort every night, uh, and they really appreciate winning. Um, and, you know, I don't know, like, because I, the only place I've won is in Boston. I can't imagine, like, to this day, you'll be walking somewhere, Jeff, and a fan will come up and, and just say thank you, and you'll look at him for what? And he says, I'm from Boston. And, like, it's, it's rare that you, you fans, they just appreciate winning. And I think they actually appreciate, they understand how hard it is to win. Like, you don't, you don't win often, you know. Um, you know, and unless you're a kid in Boston about 12 years old right now, they're the most spoiled kids in the world. Ever. You know, they, they've won. They don't realize before that what was going on. Yes. And that's actually normal cities. You know, that's usually the way it is. Um, but winning's hard, man. And, and, and so for that fan base that had, had the thirst, the, the, the older people appreciate it because the gap, you know, from winning the, the last one to winning the, the one we won. Um, and I think the younger people appreciate it because it was a great ride for them. So uh, that's what I appreciate is that, there's no, there's a lot of great fan bases. You know, Chicago uh, fans travel well. Laker fans travel, um, and and you know, right now we're trying to grow that. But you got to win to really grow it. You know, but the Celtic fans, there, there's nothing, there's no fan base that is better and that studies it more. You know, not just Celtic fans, just Boston in general, because. You know, you're driving home from practice doing the, doing the spring, and you're listening uh, to EEI, and you're hearing these fans talk about baseball. And I used to laugh with Terry, say, "Why, boy, you have a lot of coaches, man. You have a lot of coaches." <laughs> <laughs> and, but that, you know, it's funny when I took the job, uh, guys. People told me not to take it because of that. Like, they, it was amazing how many. And I'm telling you, coaches, you don't want that job. Uh, they'll kill you if you don't win the intensity. And my first thought, well, I want that job because if we do win, what could happen? And it's amazing, though, how many people told me not to take that job. And without ever naming names, some really good coaches told me not to take that job. And, and I'm glad I didn't listen. You know, I want people out there to know that uh, a piece of Doc Rivers is permanently ensconced in Boston because Doc Rivers has uh, left his heart behind for a local organization called ABCD, an anti-poverty agency. And Doc was uh, help, help was created in his mind a fundraiser for them at, at the Garden, modeled on a, uh, a baseball fundraiser that was in Fenway Park called Hoop Dreams, in which people, uh, companies, uh, bid money and put a team together to play in a, in a, a night at the Boston Garden. And, and last year, because of the garden was under renovation, we had it at the Hourback facility, but it would hopefully get back to the garden if and when we get back to basketball. But just, you'll always be remembered in, uh, for a very, very good reason in, in Boston, and, and it transcends basketball, Mr. Rivers. Well, I appreciate it. That, is, that organization, as you know, is, is phenomenal. ABCD is uh, – they just do so much stuff in the city, and it touches so many different people. 
And, you know, Bob, I can't imagine uh, right now fundraising for, for all these groups, especially that one. Um, man, everyone's going to be struggling with this kind of stuff, what's going on right now. And so if you have it, um, and you can give it. I, I would say ABCD needs it right now. I, I can, I don't even know that, but I know that. And I think you're onto something very much there. Very yeah. much so. Well, listen, we, we appreciate you taking some time. Um, hopefully it took a, a good chunk of your day that you, you don't have to find out what TV show to, to watch for a little while. What, what do you got these days? What, what's your, your TV show of choice right now? Well, I'm trying to slowly watch Ozark, but I failed last night because I finished it already. You did? Uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Oh. It, is, it is unbelievable. I'm, I'm disappointed now that it's, it's, it's over. Uh, so, you know, I'm so happy, by the way, that ESPN decided to, to do the, that, that, that Chicago Jordan documentary. Oh, they, they moved it up. Yep. And I am so, I can't wait for that. I hate that they're doing it uh, week to week. I wish they would just give it to us so, so we can watch it. So I'm doing that, you know. And then, you know, I have not seen this Tiger King thing that everybody's talking about, so I may start that. I've watched way too much TV, guys, and I'm eating way too much food as well. It's good. Listen, Tiger King's. it's – you're going to watch it and just be like, I can't believe these people actually exist in our country. Like, it's just a different world. It's a little crazy. You can – it's one of those where you can watch and still do some other things while you're watching. Where yeah. like Mark, you got to be locked into Ozark. Yeah, you got to be you got to be locked in at Ozark, no doubt. Uh, well, I'm not going to say anything to that comment about because politically, right now, I'm just going to stay out of it. If yeah, you know yeah, what I, I mean. No, I got you. I got you. No, no doubt. And and you're right. You got to be careful these days, especially right now. Go. Uh, what I watched last night. I don't know if either one of you guys saw the scheme. The Christian Dawkins. I, that's good. I watched that. Yeah. It was good. It, listen, yeah. it was good. I, I just felt like it was one-sided. Like it was basically Christian Dawkins' defense. No, it was one-sided. Right. That was the disappointing. It was a one-sided documentary. Right. Uh, and I was surprised by that. Um, it didn't make the, the – the, there's some coaches that will not like that show. That's for sure. Hundred percent, yeah. That is for sure. Sean Miller, Will Wade, Rick Pitino. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that that was not good for them. For but sure. we waited. How many minutes did we wait to hear those phone calls? I mean, it was like it was a two-hour doc, and we waited an hour and forty minutes to hear those phone calls. Yeah. And, you know, it, listen, I've lived this for the last couple of years. Obviously, you know, covering yeah. college basketball, so it wasn't much of a shock to me. But I think the general fan was absolutely shocked by the things they heard on those phone calls. But, you know, listen, you had a son who went to Duke who was recruited at a high level. They might not have done it with Austin because, frankly, they oh, – they, they try. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but, they, don't, they don't care. Like, it's, um, it's, a, it's not a good system, Jeff. We've talked about this. And it just really isn't. It, uh, it definitely doesn't favor the player. That's for sure. And – you know, I'm not – I don't know if I'm a proponent of players uh, getting paid, but I am a proponent of them being able to 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 sell their likeness. Yeah. You know, um, you remember the shot Austin made against North Carolina? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, and I think he, Coach K actually said it. 
So the next game that they played at Duke, all the fans had Duke jerseys with zero on it because Austin was zero that year. And I, I don't know if it was Duke or, or Coach K or Chris Collins said, look at all those jerseys, and Austin doesn't get a penny. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, and the way the NCAA used to get around it is they would say, well, there's no name on it because, you know, you wouldn't allow to put the player's name on the back. I said, okay. But there also was no other guy that wears number zero. Exactly. You know, the, so biggest, uh, example, <laughs> the biggest example of that this year is Sabrina Inescu. Yes. By yes. That's exactly what's going on out there in Eugene, Oregon. So, and, and that's a tough one, even that, because then will players start caring more about their brand instead of, you know, but at the end of the day, that's part of life, and you have to teach them that you can do your brand, but you got to play team ball and all that stuff. But uh, the NCAA and, and college teams and schools have made money off these kids. Uh, and the kids who don't make it, like, they're done, and what else? You know, so uh, well, we have to figure Winston. out something. For like, sure. I think a Cassius Winston is probably a great example, right? We yes. don't know if he's going to make the NBA. Hopefully he does. He's a great kid. Really good college player, but we don't know. Think of all the money he might have been able to make while in East Lansing over the last certainly couple of years uh, that he might have been able to to put away. And again, there's got to be. I, I just don't trust the NCAA to give the players what they're going to deserve through name, image, likeness. They're going to give them this one time. I don't know if you heard this, Doc. They're going to give them a one time transfer waiver that's going to go into effect soon, and they're going to give them that as to say, all right, look at what we did for these kids. They're allowed to transfer once, and they don't have to sit. We're all for the kids, but we're going to keep this name, image, likeness thing to an absolute minimum. That's what they're going to end up doing. Guaranteed. Yeah, well, the transfer thing's a joke, and it always has been. And the old, the old you know, the, uh, I've had this argument with college coaches about it, and they'll say, well, you know, be the Wild Wild West. Guys will start jumping around. I said, but you know what else it would be? It'll be a way of accountability. You can't treat these kids poorly anymore. And you know it. Let's be honest. These kids, you've been to some of these college practices. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's brutal. Like, it's brutal, the screaming and the way some of these kids. Billy, Billy Gillespie just got hired again at Tarleton State. Okay, he's been in junior college. He got fired at Texas Tech because he was treating kids like shit. He yeah. got hired at Tarleton State, which is going D1. I, I vehemently oppose it. I don't think you have to coach that way anymore. I, I know you want to be accountable. You, there's some old school guys. I get it. But to me, the best coaches out there, most of them are guys that do they're, – they're accountable, but you can put your arm around those kids too and have a – Well, Tom Izzo's, Tom Izzo's a great example. That's right. Tom gets on his players. Kills them. But Tom loves his players too. It's not an anger thing, you know. Um, and – like, you have to coach guys. You have to – I do it in the NBA, you know. Um, you have to get on them. You have to, you have to bench them. You have to – in the middle of a game, you have to scream to get their attention sometimes. Uh, but after that, it's over. You don't punish them the next day by making them run. I, I've, I've honestly, like, I've seen things in college practices with them running because they did something wrong. I mean, I'm like, oh, man, thank God. Like, I – I had Rick Majerus and, 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 and Hank Raymond. And I'm like, oh, man, thank God I had them. You know, when I think about it, and they were tough. Oh, Majerus? 
Come on, you hear Majerus the is brutal. Give us one Majerus story before we wrap up this pod. Give us <laughs> one one good Majerus story, please. Well, the, there's too many, and some are you know. It always for me is it involves eating, uh, <laughs> and, and also just Rick's. Rick had this. Rick had no social skills. Would you agree with that? He, he was the best in a, in a in a crazy way. But we were at dinner um, in Utah. He was coaching Utah. I was coming in to play uh, the Jazz. I was still playing, and we go to dinner, and the president of the school and that that uh, president and the AD comes in with their wives and they sit into a table next to us. And Rick says hi. Then he picks Blake up and his plate. They say, Doc, we're moving because these guys, they're going to listen to our whole conversation. And so <laughs> there's, they're here. I mean, Rick says it out loud. And so I move and, and I'm, and I have this face like, what the, and Rick says, do you think that was rude? I said, Rick, that, are you kidding me? That's, that's, that's your president. He said, well, it's, was it true? I said, well, they may have listened to our conversation, Rick, but my gosh. And then he proceeded to eat. You know, when he took the plate, he put the plate in front of him, my plate. And he ate my plate. And I'm sitting there, and I never ate. I had to go home and eat because that's eating with Rick Majerus. each your food and his food, and that's Rick in a nutshell. But, man, what a basketball uh, genius. I tell you that. He was the best. So it wasn't the title of his autobiography, something like Life on a Napkin? And it's so true. The word it's napkin a, was in the title. I know that. Yeah. It, it involved <laughs> food, eating, and whenever you were with him, even as a player now, I'm in the NBA, he would draw plays. Like, hey, I saw a play that you guys run. He'd grab the paper towel, the napkin. Um, if, if you went in his car, and, Jeff, I'm sure you've seen his car, it was filled with stickets, posted stickets all over the windows and napkins with diagrams on them. That was Rick Majerus. It was his life. Uh, I call Tom Thibodeau Rick Majerus because he's the Rick Majerus of our generation. <laughs> you called him, wait, wait, you called him socially inept? Is that what you're trying to say about this? Yeah, exactly. All the above. I got one final one for me, and that is, do you think that Patrick Beverly has already run out of people to agitate or – or how's he coping? Boy, that's another one. He's he is so much like Kevin. Obviously, he didn't have the Kevin ability. He must be driving. He drives me crazy when I talk to him on the phone. Uh, I can't imagine what he's doing right now. Uh, I do know he's working hard. That's a good point. <laughs> Listen, Doc. Thanks for doing this again. Uh, be safe out there. Um, Wash your hands, social distance, do all the things Amen. you're supposed to be doing. And be in the fall, the, uh, the world to get back to uh, a state of normalcy fairly soon. All right? Thanks. Yeah, let's hope, guys. But be safe out there, guys. And I miss you guys. Likewise. Likewise. Thanks, man. Take care. Talk soon. All right.